0: Welcome back to the Galaxy's Greatest Podcast about the 290 space station shows. This is uh, Bob from Cascadia. I got Matt from the Southland on the line, and we're here to talk Babylon 5 versus DS9. How you doing today, Matt?
1: Doing all right. Uh, bureau 13. Am I saying that correct? Bureau, Bureau, Bureau. Which one is it, Bob?
0: I mean, just as long as you don't say it, Section 31, Matt. That would be the wrong <laughs> way to say it. Bureau. If uh, you say at Section 31, JMS might slap your ass with a lawsuit, and you would deserve it. Have you watched any of Brooklyn Nine-Nine? No. I, I, I was kind of like up and down on uh, Parks and Rec, and then like some personal stuff kind of got in the way of it. So I haven't
1: really watched any of those Mike Shore shows. Yeah, actually pretty good. I, the only reason I say that is because that, that's an ongoing joke on there about how to say bureau Bureau for FBI.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it kind of sucks that that, uh, show didn't air like 20 years ago and that it kind of, it, it's it, my impression is it's getting a lot of backlash for being like copaganda, which, you know, on the one hand is probably fair, but on the other hand, it's
1: a little depressing that one can't just enjoy a good show. But as far as Babylon five goes, this is the one that introduces Bureau 13 dun dun dun
0: yes yes so today we're talking uh babylon 5 uh, episode a spider in the web which originally aired on pearl harbor day 1994 and then we're going to talk a ds9 episode from season three meridian
1: which originally aired on the 14th of november 1994 so in our a plot winter's mentor future core exec taro isogi is on the cusp of brokering a developmental deal with the Mars Provincial government that should allow them to win independence bloodlessly when he is assassinated by a cyber zombie directed by the secret governmental organization Bureau 13, based in the San Diego Wastes. Yes, yes. And
0: in the B-plot, we have uh, Ivanova adapting to the more diplomatic side of her rank, which makes Sheridan's life much easier and frees up his schedule.
1: With this uh, bureau 13 thing, we've got another assassination plot on our hands. Everybody gets assassinated on Babylon 5. Yep I mean if you were going to do
0: a deep state conspiracy, there's only one place in the galaxy to do a deep state conspiracy and that is on B5.
1: Apparently so like I really we really need to get a tally going at some point of just how many assassination attempts have occurred on this station yeah yeah we should we should
0: we should keep an assassination tally uh listener was telling me in the comments we should also start keeping a uh a sheridan uh, food tally because apparently you were complaining about uh sheridan's food a couple of episodes back and like his obsession with oranges and whatnot and apparently you regularly see oranges in his uh, quarters, which is not something I had ever noticed. Uh, I think the listener said that they didn't really notice it either until the remaster on HBO Max brought it into sharper focus. Yeah, the man
1: likes fresh food. That's
0: just how he is. He's all, he's all
1: about them biological
0: details. But yeah, we can keep a, a Sheridan food tally, and we can keep an assassination tally. If it smooths it out any, at least we can say that Bureau 13, not Bureau 31 or Burrow, uh, Thirteen is uh, is the organization that sent the two knights to the station in season one to interrogate um, Sinclair, and they strapped him into the thing that very much looked like a sex chair in order to go into VR.
1: Oh yeah, the one with the VR episode where with the freaky VR. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. So that's Bureau Thirteen. Okay. So, so it's not the same people that were in the comics, though, because that may ever made clear.
0: Unless I'm really forgetting something. I don't think we ever go back to that stuff in the comics about the assassination again on the show. Although, in the novel that's set on Minbar, that's apparently the most canonical of the novels that kind of deals with what Sinclair is up to as the ambassador on Minbar, you know, while um, Sheridan is commanding the station in season two. That novel apparently does reference the assassination stuff, although I think more of the stuff that happened in the comic on Minbar than the stuff that happened on the station.
1: Okay. Yeah, because I, I, when I watched this episode, it reminded me of everything that happened with that comic, and I was like, are they the same people that are trying to do the same thing and it didn't work the first time, so they're just going to do it again? What's the plan?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't see any reason to definitively say it's not, but I don't, I don't think we know it definitively know it is for sure either i was going to ask you did you have any thoughts on the san diego wasteland
1: so with the san diego wasteland i feel like what you've mentioned this before i think it was in like one of the papers or something we read about in season one like yeah in season newspapers? one they showed a i think they call it universe today which is
0: their version of the galaxy's worst a newspaper usa today uh, which is written for six-year-olds And it had three headlines. I think the three headlines, one was about the San Diego wasteland, one was about President Clark, or then Vice President Clark, getting endorsed by the PSICOR, which was a violation of the PSICOR's ostensibly non-political
1: charter. The third was something living in hyperspace, right? Yes, which we've sort of seen some follow-up on, yeah. Wow, they had it all mapped out. right (laughs) then. But yeah, uh, the, I mean, it was like San Diego part of a war zone or something during the Earth-Minbar War. I, I don't think it's the Earth-Minbar War, because I don't, I, I, if I'm
0: remembering right, I don't think the Minbari ever actually get to striking at Earth. They pull back before that. I think they describe it as a uh, as a act of nuclear terrorism at another point in the show. And I think at some point, maybe maybe Sinclair has already done this, but if it wasn't Sinclair, maybe it was Sheridan, he... Actually, I think it's Sinclair, like, getting angry at Londo, says that Earth has had a lot of experience with sneak attacks. And the two I remember him mentioning, he might mention a couple of others, but the two I remember him mentioning are Pearl Harbor and uh, the, the nuclear
1: bombing of San Diego. Oh, okay. So apparently sometime in Earth's past, there was a terrorist attack Ye- that destroyed San Diego. Yeah, yeah. Suitcase nuke or something,
0: I assume. Got it. I'm sure it's probably written up in like the RPG manual or something, although unless I'm blanking, I don't think the show ever goes in depth on what happened. I'll look into that because I'm curious now. Yeah, yeah. I was watching Lodge 49 with a friend this morning and uh, a character did make the line in reference to an annoying ex-boyfriend of theirs that uh, nothing that happens in San Diego matters. (laughs)
1: <laughs> all right well because I, I haven't you don't hear much about earth on b5 you hear about mars do not hear much about earth
0: yeah yeah i think that's maybe somewhat intentional to like signify some distance so i was gonna ask you did you uh recognize the uh, actress who was playing the negotiator for the mars provincial government with uh, the future Corps exec taro
1: i didn't at first until you mentioned uh it's the voice it's the voice of catwoman correct
0: yeah which i hadn't remembered but um i did recognize her she stars in one of my favorite john carpenter movies uh the fog oh okay yeah and then she also she references like a grandfather or great-grandfather carter and that's a reference to john carter of mars which was the i think the earliest series of uh, sf novels kind of like barbarian adventures on the surface of mars disney made a real bad movie of it about 10 years
1: ago like the entire, like, Batman the Animated Series cast was, like, recorded next door to B5, and they just grabbed these people.
0: Yeah, yeah, because we've seen, uh, we saw Mr. Freeze uh, relatively recently playing the Techno Mage. Then we've seen Catwoman playing this Mars Provincial Government Negotiator. And then on DS9, we saw the Riddler playing the guy who wanted the Dax
1: symbiote. Scarecrow. Have there been any scarecrow. I can't remember who. Who the oh, scarecrow. Yeah. I'm trying sure to remember who it was. That, that did come up, but yeah, I yeah. don't remember who Scarecrow was. Yeah. I feel like if this if this aired on like the WB, it would have made sense, but I don't know. That was back <laughs> in the day.
0: <laughs> I mean, I Babylon Five. I guess the rights are held by Warner's or you know, yeah. uh, So or Time Warner's. I don't know if that was the case when it was airing, though. Although I think the network it was
1: airing on turned into the WB. Well, then I think we just answered our own question. <laughs> there you go
0: <laughs> all right so did you have any thoughts on uh ivanova describing winters as interesting she gay bob uh, i mean that wasn't really what
1: i was thinking of with the question i was just sort of curious <laughs> i'm just saying that no one seems to hit on ivanova i figured they'd put some love interest in there by this point i mean we're well
0: we did see her uh her ex-boyfriend who uh, turned out to be a neo-nazi in season one
1: yeah we saw that one dude but yeah no one he sucks. They didn't bring on this new pilot or whatever. He hasn't been hitting on her.
0: No, no. I mean, thankfully they keep the the new pilot character, Kiefler, pretty contained because
1: he's not great. Yeah, I mean, or maybe they're just like you know friends. I don't know. I'm just getting kind of some some, some romantic tension there. Maybe okay, just okay. Throw it out there.
0: So you you're, you're sort of you've moved on from your conspiracy theory that Ivanova. Uh, is a traitor, and now uh, you, you're moving on to your conspiracy theory that uh, Ivanova has a thing for Winters. That's the new conspiracy theory.
1: No, I think they go together. Like she's still a, a spy and still. Oh man, come on! Now, now you're doing like McCarthy era tropes. Yeah, and then, and then she's trying to get with the. She's trying to get with Winters because she knows Winters can read her mind at some point, and she wants to make sure she's keeping her enemies closer uh-huh. she's yeah. trying to get a
0: compromise as the liberals say exactly you got it oh man oh man well this has uh, gone into an unfortunate and direction to the, towards the lavender scare so yeah. we'll <laughs> veer off and <laughs> just say uh any thoughts on zach allen
1: yeah zach allen you mean like Kaniki from
0: greece so i only saw greece as a small child and didn't stick is he like john travolta's number two or something yeah you get a hickey from Kaniki. So is he like the bad guy or is he like the number two guy? He's like the number two guy, but he's Garibaldi's number two here. I mean, some people just have the face to be a number two guy, Matt. Yeah. And then some people like you don't even have the face for that. <laughs> I'm number one
1: always, Bob. <laughs> I mean, that's not what I was clearly implying, yeah. but we'll we'll roll yeah, with it to yeah. salvage your ego. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, Garibaldi's got to have new second in command though, since the last one shot him in the back. I mean, do, do they need to keep, I mean, with well, the way this show keeps going, repeating some of the same plot lines, do, I, do we need to make sure Zach Allen, we keep an eye on him? I just, I just can't believe you would insult Lou Welch
0: like that, Matt. He's standing right there. He's okay. clearly so competent and so yeah. helpful. How Lou are you going to
1: insult Lou Welch like that? It is a legit question though. I thought Lou Welch was second in command, but Zach Allen is right. Do they just shoot. Yeah. Him? Yeah.
0: Zach Allen will be second in command going forward.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. What happened to Lou Welch? I, I, I don't feel like that's a spoiler to say. Did Lou Welch die? What happened to Lou Welch?
0: No, I think he still shows up time to time, although less as time goes on, is my memory, which might be wrong. He just got passed over
1: is what happened. Poor Lou
0: Welch. I mean, he, he didn't even have the face for a second in command. Matt. Nah, <laughs> kind of like somebody else I know. Nicky. <laughs> All
1: right, so uh, another character we have here is this Talia's mentor, Abby. She seems really important. She isn't. Why do they make it out like she's like some important character in Winter's past? That's gonna like be her.
0: I mean, like her Yoda it, I or something. She isn't. She is important for Winter's backstory. But unless I've just abused way too many substances this year, I don't think she comes back. Uh, may, maybe she will, and you can humiliate me by pointing out the mistake I made. But i I think you. I think she can kind of be an important backstory figure for. Winters in the same way that uh, Sheridan's sister is an important backstory character for him, but
1: they're not going to show up a lot. Going back to like the bulk of the plot of this episode, because I feel like the, the actual plot of this episode was kind of stupid, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it's there. You have these the cyber zombie, who's actually this dead guy who's been mm-hmm. revived by hardware like implants. Is this the same kind of hardware implant stuff we saw on that pimp dude? with the brain hardware who talked with kosh in season one he had like his name was vcr or vicar or or some weird yeah i think all of those um so is the
0: question like why did they get it to work with the vicar but not with the cyber zombie
1: yeah because they made a big deal out of it being like uh something they couldn't go further with because it was it's illegal or something like that I mean, my sense of it is that, like, Earth
0: is still really behind the a lot of the other races in terms of technology. Maybe not the Nara, that, that I'm less clear on, but they're definitely behind the Centauri and the Minbari and the Vorlon in terms of technology. Because, you know, they're the kind of new species on the block, as it were. And so you could read that as Abut had, like, gotten in with, like, this sort of, like, ring of vicars who are you know is mostly an alien thing or a non-human thing maybe that's his deal whereas like on earth like the deep state organizations are still struggling to actually get hardware implants that work uh, that that would be my sort of my sense of it
1: gotcha so they're still it's like a technology they're working on but certain parts of it are uh certain uses for it at this point are probably illegal
0: yeah illegal one. or poorly understood and I, you don't get the feeling that the older races are necessarily like you know really really thirsty to give away technology especially when you're talking about earth which you know had kind of been a rising power or kind of still is a rising power so like reviving the dead would probably not be a good idea yeah your, your yeah that's reference. that's my sense of it maybe there's a better explanation in the para canon that
1: i don't know but that's my sense of it or now okay at the end of this episode we've got the person is it, is it abby at the end of the episode i'm trying to remember
0: I, I think it's implied that it could be abby but i don't think we know that for sure because
1: yeah, talia looks at the image of this person and realizes that she's actually considered deceased yeah she's psycor it's implied she's the one she's like leading this uh she's the one that led this assassination attempt on b5 and as part of this bureau 13 i mean is bureau 13 a part of psycor is that what we're going to figure out or yeah that seems to be the implication
0: that um bureau 13 is like a secret division of psycor um if i'm remembering right we don't go back to bureau 13 all that much although we definitely keep psycor is definitely like an ongoing concern but i don't think if i unless my memory is wrong i don't think bureau 13 is like as vital a thing going forward well they made it seem like a
1: big deal on this one they did Yeah. yeah
0: since we're already in deep state watch i'll also just say that it's Kind of funny to see uh, Senator Lucille Bluth um, from Arrested Development. You know, Mm -hmm. whenever you see Lucille Bluth in a position of uh, any authority, you know she's up to no good, which is great. And then you also have that great scene of uh, Sheridan uh, coming out to Garibaldi as a conspiracy buff who collects all these informations on secret organizations and black projects, which I think you didn't care for, but I thought was pretty great.
1: I mean, I thought it was I thought it was cool, but it just it was random. It just kind of came out of nowhere, like oh okay. Sheridan's just sharing his hobby that just happens to fit with the plot that we're talking about in this particular episode. <laughs> That's that kind of thing. Yeah,
0: I don't know. I will say I, I kind of agreed with you that this wasn't a great episode, but I did think the last 15 minutes, especially like Sheridan's machinations at the end, really did like sink it as a as a fun, very fun episode for me. Yeah,
1: I mean, it, it was fun. I'll give it that. It wasn't, you know, best or anything or it's not one of the better episodes I've seen so far all right so let's talk ds9 let's switch gears for a minute so this is meridian do you want to walk us through the a plot yes meridian is actually the one with hollow sweet deep fakes for those, for those of you that don't know what deep fakes are it's when you take a video of a celebrity or a famous person and you get as many videos as you possibly can of this person to then take that image and create your own video you're on like almost like avatar of that person, and you know, do whatever you want with them.
0: It's oftentimes, but not exclusively,
1: pornographic. Yes, but they, yeah, it's primarily what it's made for. But we've also seen like people try to do that with politicians and things, and make them say or do whatever we want them to do. And mm-hmm. that seems to be mm-hmm. the uh, the Fox News scare right now. The A plot exploring the Gamma quadrant, the Defiant finds the planet Meridian, which shifts back into our dimension from a realm of pure energy every 60 years. But its interval in this dimension is shrinking, which threatens the planet's survival. And then in the B-plot, we've got Quark trying to obtain a hollow image of
0: Kira to sake the thirst of Jeffrey Combs, who's playing a Cerulean customer.
1: Yeah, the B-plot one in this one, like A-plot to me, uh, was like old school Star Trek, in a way. Mm -hmm. And I didn't care for Jadzia's part that much. We got to see Jadzia act a little more, but... I don't know. The B plot was hilarious though. They did great with that. It was ridiculously creepy, but at the same time, it was really fun to watch. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: I mean, at least Quark gets his,
1: right? Yeah. He gets his come up. I mean, yeah, the, they, yeah, he, he, they get him at the end. Yeah. Uh, uh, Weirdly, this everybody. actually does very closely track with a
0: plot in a much later um, Babylon 5 TV movie, The
1: River of Souls. Well, with Quark being able to capture a person's image in like a hollow suite and just recreate it for the right, recreate that person for the right price in the hollow suite, you feel like that's like where our future is actually heading at this point? Oh, yeah, yeah, certainly. I, I don't know if I've said this
0: uh, on the podcast. I'm, I'm not sure, but I don't really like the, the liberal pundit, Ezra Klein, very much, but he has made a really good point in several of the shows that I appreciate and vibe with. And that point is that he thinks that like within our lifetimes, virtual reality is going to get so good that it's going to be really hard for people to justify coming out of it to live their kind of boring lives and, you know, as underpaid drones and hollowed out America. And I, you know, it, it seems like the answer to that is obviously, well, you have to make real life better and more you know more comfortable and less uh precarious so people don't feel so stressed and anxious and averse to it but it does seem like a real problem that we're creating towards and I, I don't think we'll solve it and yeah it would seem like this sort of like deep fake stuff you know especially but not only the, porno- the pornographic end of it would only enhance that yeah
1: it reminds me of ready player one
0: you read that book, Bob? Oh, God. No, I refuse to read that hack book or see that hack movie. <laughs> I did listen to the Chapo Trap House review of it, which was very funny and all I needed. You read Snow Crash? I haven't. I need to read Neil Stevenson. I, I never have. All right. Snow Crash. Same idea. Yeah, yeah. My buddy Pat uh, sort of likes Neil Stevenson and was talking him up to me. Or Not talking him up, but I was asking
1: Pat about Neil Stevenson the other day. Yeah. And you had mentioned that you th- you thought it reminded you of a, a a Voyager episode, but I'd never heard of it. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: Not the uh, not the fake stuff though. That reminded oh. me of the Babylon Five TV movie, but the uh, the plot with the like bucolic idyllic village that reminds me of a Voyager. I think two Voyager holodeck episodes where like Janeway or actually I, th- I don't think it's Janeway's program originally. I think it's maybe Tom Paris' program originally because Tom Paris always likes creating like cozy, idyllic holodeck programs in that show. But he has this like, you know, kind of beautiful stereotypical Irish village called Fairhaven. The crew starts spending a lot of time in the program. And I think maybe the program comes to life. It's a uh, the source of one of the best Janeway memes when uh, she gets thirsty for one of the male uh, holograms, and so she slightly reprograms him to make him more attractive. And the, the scene of her, like, reprogramming him to the computer ends with her saying, delete the wife.
1: <laughs> yeah, I never saw it. Uh, and honestly, like I said before, like, the A-plot of this episode, like, I struggle to keep my attention. What was your opinion of Dax in this episode, I I thought she did all right. Uh, Granted, she wasn't given,
0: like, A-plus material to work with. But I, I thought she did, like, a good job of playing. Terry Farrell, in particular, did a good job of playing Conflicted and, you know, doing Sorrowful Goodbyes. I especially did, like the scene where uh, she's saying goodbye to Cisco. And I mean, I think Terry Farrell was solid in that scene, but man, Avery Brooks, like, he, he made me tear up a little, which was honestly not what I was expecting uh, in an episode that, you know, was one part like Quark being super creepy and was the other part was like half an anticipation of a ridiculous Voyager holodeck
1: episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the best scene in the whole episode, though, with the uh, with Avery Brooks saying goodbye.
0: Well, uh, speaking of leaving behind all of your friends to get some interdimensional sex, um, you want to go into thirst watch Matt?
1: Yeah. Uh, Garibaldi cannot even put away his like broke ass pickup game on winners. Even right after her friend gets killed, he's got to like get that under control. Yeah.
0: I mean, I guess he sort of does tone it down and like kind of use it to cheer winners up but yeah it was a pretty cringy scene though like i said it, they tone it down a little later and they make it where it's like oh garibaldi's like more emotionally supporting her but yeah whew, garibaldi uh when they do the reboot i hope they uh, reconsider how he approaches
1: the ladies yeah because he did the same shit to uh ivanova when her dad died do you remember that oh yeah yeah, <laughs> like,
0: yeah. <laughs> i think that wasn't even him trying to smash i think it was just him coming off as he was trying to smash because he always seems like he's trying to smash
1: maybe that's the real problem maybe he just needs to his approach to everything and honestly that was worse because it had stronger like blackmail vibes to it right yeah for her using the communication the the gold channel Yeah.
0: yeah yeah whereas this this was like sleazy but at least wasn't like that
1: it wasn't that sort of coercive at least at the very beginning of ds9 you had a Kira pretending that she's odo's lover to avoid jeffrey combs
0: yeah i I thought it was really sweet and this this is really the season i unless you can remember stuff in the first two that i'm not remembering this is really the season where they really start like teasing that you know odo and kira actually do have a thing for each other and they just neither of them have like fully come come around to like fully seeing it like odo knows he has a thing but he just hasn't like he hasn't been able to like move from this kind of like ridiculous idealization stage to like actually like you know making kira aware that she might feel the same way for him
1: yeah, and then you've got the dude who falls in love with jadzia on the planet or River. he goes if you don't mind me asking how far down do they go she's like all the way in reference yeah. to her spots yeah very hot scene very hot
0: scene yeah, like a... i i i would say like usually when we're um you're we're doing thirst watch we're doing it to you know be like the dog in the meme bonking people for being too thirsty yeah but i i thought like the kira and odo scene and then the the dax and her lover from this village scene i thought those were both pretty sweet and like it's like oh you know sometimes 90s tv can like you know portray sexuality in a non-cringy way
1: yeah it seems like star trek ds9 has had a handle a little better or at least this writer did for this episode yeah, I think a lot of it too is just getting like the voices of the character
0: settled down more. Uh, do we want to transition over to Econ Watch? Yeah so i i did want to kind of give a brief little shout out so james shigeta i believe is how you say the name of the japanese actor who plays um taro in the babylon 5 episode and he's a really cool guy um he headlined a sam fuller noir in like 1959 where he plays like a if i'm remembering right if i saw it a long time ago i think it's called the crimson kimono and he's playing like a cop in occupied japan after world war ii and then or may, no, maybe that's the one where he's playing a Japanese American cop in LA. It's, it's probably it's the latter. And then he, he also, he's probably most recognizable because he like played the CEO of the Nakatomi Corporation in Die Hard. And then he plays a, a Vietnamese president in a couple of episodes of Sequest. I think it's kind of interesting to bring it up under Econ Uh, watch because it was just interesting to seeing this guy play like a kind of warm and creative corporate exec you know that was during the age in the early 90s where everybody was very concerned about like you know the japanese taking over the american economy there are a lot of very cringy comedies and dramas made about the japanese threat to the american worker like twin peaks yeah, Twin Peaks definitely had a definitely had subplots about that too. Yeah, definitely. And so it's kind of interesting to see like this kind of warm and robust portrayal of this uh, Japanese or Japanese American character as kind of a rebuttal to all that fear mongering.
1: Yeah, too bad he gets assassinated. Eh, you know, it's uh,
0: That's kind of the risk when you go to Babylon Five. You have to sign an, assassin, an assassination waiver. It's just gonna
1: happen. Yeah, you can kill your kid. <laughs> and you could be assassinated too
0: yeah yeah so we already i think pretty much covered bureau 13 when we were talking about um the episode itself so i think we've kind of exhausted deep state watch yeah although i did want to ask you one other question is bureau 13 like the tipping point for you that okay ds9 was ripping off babylon 5 because it was it was the tipping point for me
1: I feel like yes, because the minute I heard it, I was like, "Wait a minute, that's Section 31 i mean It just—it's so obvious. Yeah, there's no way I mean, that could be a coincidence. Could, no, coincidence there's now. just no way.
0: I mean, there's so much that's very similar in DS Nine, but you kind of wanted to give it the benefit of the doubt of like, you know, I think we way too much emphasize like the role of like the individual genius in art these days, and. A lot of it just has to do with like what's in the popular culture what do you synthesize and so i was kind of leaning more that way and you know the fact that i was kind of hostile to jms for some of its bad superhero work didn't help but then you get to bureau 13 and you're just like nope nope jms was right i'm glad he got whatever he got from paramount in that lawsuit because they
1: totally ripped him off (laughs) ds9 definitely got some stuff from babylon 5 without a doubt
0: yeah, definitely, definitely. So who was your uh, character of the week, Matt? Definitely Kira for Outsmarting Quirk. Nice, yeah, yeah. I would have to go with Cisco with his good acting, but uh, Kira and Odo were both great this week.
1: Then My episode of the week is a spider in the web. I mean, between the two episodes, it's just... Uh, I, spider in the web was okay at the end
0: yeah yeah that i I would agree with you and that's really just based on the last 15 minutes though that like really that's what really, really stitched it together for me i haven't kept track yet we need to start keeping track but besides the season one finale is this the only other time we've picked a babylon 5 episode to give it to uh
1: i don't think so i'm pretty sure we've had a couple of Babylon five episodes oh okay things. we have we well have. at least yeah since i mean we didn't start this till later on in season the yeah. in season one like there would have been some season one episodes definitely that we would have given it oh to. yeah
0: yeah and we we'll, we might reconstruct what we would pick just so we have like a full list since we didn't think to do this uh we're, to be honest matt didn't have the idea to do this until late in the thing and you know i stupidly never thought of it when it's obviously a very clear thing we should be doing it's all good, okay, yeah. Bob. It's okay. We can't all be as smart as me. I I know. And and uh, we can't all not have a second-place face like you, Matt.
1: Second-place face. So next week we have Soulmates, Babylon 5, Season 2, Episode 7.
0: I and honestly didn't remember when you said Soulmates. I was like, wait, which
1: show was that? And I was like, <laughs> well, it says Soul. It, it must be Babylon 5. Yeah, Soulmates soulmates apparently this is one where we uh learn about londo's wives we meet them
0: oh this one rules this one rules okay <laughs> i would forgotten
1: about yeah this one's great and then what's the ds9 one defiant this is the one where we meet thomas
0: Riker. Oh, yeah again. yeah thomas Riker. okay oh that's gonna be hard to choose at least if my my positive memories of both are yeah it's gonna be a good uh a good, uh, good showdown all right well if you if you were lagging today listeners don't make that mistake next week come back for the joy of Londo's wives and Riker's identical teleporter clone. All right, well, this has been Babylon 5 versus DS9, the greatest podcast about the two great 90s space station shows. I'm Bob from Cascadia. That's been Matt from the Southland on the line. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.